Christopher Arnott's review reads, The actors in Manahata wear many hats. For half of this issue-laden drama at Yale Repertory Theater, the seven performers play either members of the Lenape tribe or the Dutch traders who turn the tribe's world upside down. For the other half, they are characters in the modern world, either wheeling and dealing on Wall Street or trying to make ends meet in an impoverished tribal area of Oklahoma. These halves often overlap, with the performers shifting from the 17th century to the 21st century with the simplest of costume changes. The plot is similarly pell-mell and plays out on a grand scale. The actual moment when the Dutch swindle the Lenape and take control of the land we now know as Manhattan is dramatized. So are the housing market crashes and stock market plummets of recent years. This is high-stakes drama, showing the innocents who are caught in the middle, as well as those who contributed to these seismic economic shifts in both small and grand ways. We meet small-town bankers and Wall Street fat cats, pelt peddlers, and tribal leaders. There are plenty of heavy hero villain cliches in the story, but Nagel infuses this historical tale of persecution with a strong female energy. Mary Catherine Nagel makes the Native American characters self-aware, not naive. She has them laughing at the Dutch traders' presumptions that men are always the decision-makers, or that the invaders' aggression will not be met with retaliation. Manhattan is in the creditable tradition of plays that somberly depict the exploitation of native peoples. There is Peter Schaffer's Royal Hunt of the Sun about Pizarro capturing the leader of the Incas, and Brian Friel's translations about British imperialism in Ireland, and Arthur Coppett's Indians, which takes some of the same general themes of subjugation and commerce as Manhattan into the 19th century. All these plays have scenes in which basic communication problems and differences in fundamental beliefs and ways of seeing the world are played out in fraught, stilted conversations with the invaders willfully misconstruing their intentions or outright lying. This playwright, though, is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Manhattan builds empathy and compassion for its victims of land grabs and house grabs but also shows how, due to their core cultural values, they process these losses differently than others might. The concept of ownership comes up a lot. Spiritual peace is maintained under the most trying circumstances. The tragic moments are tempered by ones of hope and perseverance. All that from Chris Arnott and a review he wrote in the Hartford Current of the play Manahata by Mary Catherine Nagel that ran in 2020 at the Yale Repertory Theater. Manahata had its world premiere at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2018. And in addition to the playwright, director, scenic and costume designers, and the composer among those making up the creative team for the production was Curtis Zunica, the Lenape consultant. Zunica is an enrolled member of the Delaware Tribe of Indians in Oklahoma. He has over 35 years of experience in tribal government, 
and administration, community development, telecommunications, and cultural preservation. He is an acknowledged expert on Delaware Lenape culture, language, and traditional practices, and he is the co-founder and co-director of the Lenape Center based in New York City. The Lenape Center promotes the history and culture of the Lenape people through the arts, environmental activism, social justice, and agricultural practices. The Lenape Center's work represents the return of the original indigenous people to their original homeland, Lenape Hoking, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. As part of the two-year-long project, Scranton's Story, Our Nation's Story, made possible through a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the University of Scranton and its many community partners have been exploring Scranton's history, its culture, and role in the nation at large. And this fall, the project theme focuses on the indigenous history of northeastern Pennsylvania, culminating in a keynote talk and discussion this Thursday, November 17th, titled Forced Removal of the Lenape People, History and Homecoming, featuring Curtis Zuniga. The story of his ancestors is every bit as alive for him as it is when the characters in Manahata, the play, interact with each other across the generations. So unlike what has been called an industrial, linear sense of time. During his time at the University of Scranton, Zuniga will share his continuing experience and mission to heal the wounds of forced removal and his desire in visiting Scranton to restore a circle of friendship, respect, and shared occupancy. We'll be able to hear his deep passion in a conversation we had by phone, and we began by asking him about geography. The Lenape are the original people of this area where we both are living. The Lenape, in our language, meaning the original people, the homeland of the Lenape, Lenape Hoking, as we call it. If you if you could imagine a boundary that is established, I'll just use a current map. The foothills of the Catskills Mountains, from where I am right now in the uh, Middle Hudson Valley, Hudson River. You keep going up river uh, past Albany, then you're getting into an area that starts to become the territory of the Haudenosaunee or the Iroquois people. So uh, approximately that area is the furthest north. So you come down the Hudson River and that valley all the way down into New York City. You pick up New York City and all of New Jersey, continuing south, picking up all of uh, more or less eastern Pennsylvania, go past Philadelphia, all the way down into the Delaware Bay, uh, the northern part of the state of Delaware around Wilmington, and then west to about the Susquehanna River. So the Scranton and Wilkes-Barre area is probably uh, right along the westernmost border, although I, I don't like to use that word because we didn't put up fences and walls but that was acknowledged territory for our villages, our hunting areas, and uh, where we grew our crops. There were peoples who came across 
the waters and disrupted that territory, the homeland, in succession. Some historians say that uh, for approximately 13,000 years, the Lenape lived in the area that I just described and were known by many other Native nations or tribes as the grandfathers, one of the most um, oldest known ancient people known for their egalitarian lifestyle, their religious practice, their sense of oratory and diplomacy. Even today, some of those Algonquin-speaking tribes in their language continue to refer to the Lenape as the grandfathers. It was approximately, um, I'm going to start it off in the early 17th century with the English ship captain sailing for the Dutch, uh, the Dutch East India uh, Company, looking for trade routes for a developing uh, fur trade, particularly, you know, beavers, muskrats, wolves, and the like. Fur trade uh, was, again, uh, growing to become something lucrative. And some of the after the so-called discovery of uh, what became known as the Americas by Christopher Columbus, that wasn't a discovery, by the way. Nonetheless, uh, when the Dutch began to arrive for trade purposes, they met these people, wrote about them extensively, these, these natives, and wrote about them mostly in a positive manner. And also the way they were ultimately welcomed after a period of time where there was a lot of hesitancy to make contact, not knowing if it was going to turn into war. Uh, with the Lenape seeing these people as, you know, very different, light-skinned with beards and sailing on ships and bearing implements they'd never seen before, and yet welcoming them ultimately to provide a place for them to have refuge. And the Dutch were the first to establish colonies. One of the most interesting and well-known ones was the colony of New Amsterdam. But they established colonies along the rivers, the tributaries, and uh, along the uh, ocean in what is now New York and New Jersey, and then stretching down the rivers into Pennsylvania. They set up these village uh, forts. They were forts is what they were, and then established a trade in the fur trade, and then began to start bringing more people over. And disputes between the Europeans, which had one lifestyle and one value system completely different than the Lenape, the two did not get along well. They ultimately clashed. Uh, one of the most shocking differences was the idea of ownership of property. To the Lenape, the land was a gift from, from the creator. The land, the water, the air, the mountains, all of these were gifts given to our people by the Creator in our language, the Creator of all things. And this was the place that was our home. It was our mother, Mother Earth. That was that. That's what it was for us. And for the Europeans, they saw land as a commodity and ultimately saw the Lenape as a commodity. We had no idea uh, of the concept of owning land 
and turning it into a commodity, parceling it out, selling it for, you know, some some uh, compensatory payment that just didn't, wasn't part of our value system and our thinking. So there was a clash right there when the Dutch began to purchase or claim to purchase land for themselves. And one of the most famous or infamous being the so-called Purchase of Manhattan. Certainly that's the story that many generations of students have learned in history class. It's not a purchase. It was a myth. That's a myth. Nonetheless, the Dutch ultimately had the greater military power and then in sheer numbers continuing to bring people over from, uh, from Holland to uh, live in these uh, newly found colonies. Uh, one of the most interesting stories about New Amsterdam is they built a wall around New Amsterdam, ultimately to keep the Lenape out of their own land that they supposedly, the Dutch, felt that they bought and was theirs and had the right to keep the, the Lenape Indians out. And a wall was built around New Amsterdam and a path, footpath originally, around the perimeter of that wall and then later a path wall wide enough for horses and wagons, and then ultimately a paved road, and ultimately a street. Yes, Erica, that is where the name Wall Street came from, because New Amsterdam became New York when the British took over, and that path along the wall that kept the Lenape out of their own homeland became known as Wall Street. How about that? That's the history you're telling us now in this way, and we'll be talking about when you get to the University of Scranton, but it's also the story that was told dramatically in the play Manahata. Well, that's part of the mission of Lenape Center, is to tell our story, returning to the homeland, and to combat the erasure of the Lenape, which is why we're having this conversation right now. After the English began to have more of a presence coming down out of a Canada. They ultimately displaced the Dutch as the primary European military and commerce power. And at that point, as part of the further erasure of the Lenape, the English colonial governor who came up from Virginia to start taking over all of that area that they acquired from the uh, that they took from the Dutch. The colonial governor at the time was Sir Thomas West. He had several titles of nobility, one of them being he was the third Lord D. La War, W-A-R-R-E. And Lord D. La War became the colonial governor over all of that territory, including the River Valley and the native inhabitants and Lord D. Law War morphed into Delaware. That's where the name Delaware came from. Delaware is our colonial name. We are Lenape. But today I am an enrolled member in the Delaware Tribe of Indians, a federally recognized tribe uh, headquartered in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, in northeastern Oklahoma. And we are the Delaware Tribe in Oklahoma because we were forcibly removed out of our homeland. And as a part of that removal, slowly erasing us out of the history books and out of the public conscience. And we ended up in places like Oklahoma, uh, Wisconsin, and even southern Ontario, Canada. 
And language is at the forefront, the imposing of Delaware as a name, while also appropriating names like Manhattan that became Manhattan. Uh, again, more examples of the story of the Lenape down in Philadelphia. Uh, Lenape, I guess you might say a principal chief, uh, since we didn't have one leader. We always had a council of chiefs. Those Europeans, they only wanted to talk to one person. They would always come and say, who's your king? I want to talk to your king. Well, we didn't have a king or one chief or one person in charge of our villages. It was done by councils. It might have had a war council, a peace council, but then women were very strong in their role within our tribal societies. Women were equal with men, not subordinate. And so perhaps one of the most famous incidents in history was a principal chief of the Lenape, Tamanend, met with William Penn, who came over uh, with a charter from King Charles II to establish a colony. Now, you can imagine this guy, William Penn, showing up with a piece of paper in his hand saying, I'm here representing King Charles II, and this charter tells you that all of this land belongs to the king now, and I'm here to establish uh, a colony. Well, how would you feel? Sounds a little like uh, what the Ukrainians are hearing from uh, Putin. You know, we, we went through that kind of stuff in the late 17th century. William Penn met with Tamanen and the Council of Lenape Chiefs, and ultimately the Lenape were impressed with, with his Quakerism and a similar egalitarian uh, value system. And William Penn, instead of coming in with the sword, he came in with the cross. His approach was to convert the Lenape, later known as Delaware. And whether it was the sword or the cross, it was meant to dominate, control the people in order to take possession of all of the natural resources, turn them into commodities, send the riches back to Europe, and establish permanent ownership of the, of the natural resources and convert the natives, the indigenous people, convert them to Christianity and make them the working class. You can also interpret the working class to mean the slaves. And then ultimately, those that did not convert were killed. And they did so with the approval of the kings and queens and the popes of Europe as part of Manifest Destiny, as part of the doctrine of Christian discovery that listed and called us the savages, the savages that either needed to be converted or killed and pushed out of the way so that resources could be taken. And that thinking went into why the Dutch came here, why the English came here, and ultimately, after the Americans prevailed in the Revolutionary War and kicked the English out, they still carried that attitude. Erica, if you read the Declaration of Independence, read the full body of the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson, he refers to us as, quote, merciless Indian savages. That's in the Declaration of Independence. Now, if that's in the founding document of this country, 
What do you think the white people, the, the new Americans that have a history of taking over the lands and exterminating the savages, when that is carried on in the United States, then that this country is based in racism and colonialism. So that's how we got started. And the Lenape was right in the midst of it because the Lenape, now known as the Delawares, that lived in that area. I just mentioned geographically the corner between New York City and Philadelphia. Don't you know how, how strong and important a geographical area that corridor is during the Revolutionary War? And it was the Lenape, it was our Delaware warriors and leaders who had great knowledge of all of that geographic area that became military and political intelligence. The United States of America, through the Constitution, established the powers of Congress. And in the first article of the U.S. Constitution, in Section 8, which is the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, it gave Congress the power to regulate commerce with the foreign nations, the several states, and the Indian tribes. Now, if they're savages, I don't know why they're giving us a legal and a political status but that's what happened in the first article of the Constitution in Section 8, the Commerce Clause. And therefore, utilizing that newfound power after establishing the first treaty ever with the United States, with the country of France, and you can thank Benjamin Franklin for that, the second treaty in the history of the United States of America was the Treaty of September 17, 1778, the Treaty at Fort Pitt, between the United States of America and the Delawares. The Delawares were the first Indian treaty in the history of this country. And we promised to provide military intelligence, horses, warriors, corn, and other provisions, and safe passage through our homelands for the Americans. We struggled because we wanted to remain neutral between the British and the Americans. But circumstances caused us to ultimately have to pick one or the other or, or get trampled over. We had a lot of warriors that went up with Tecumseh into Canada and sided with the British. Ultimately, the war was won, and before that treaty could ever be sent to the Senate for ratification, the Delawares were no longer needed, and that treaty was not ratified. Therefore, all of the promises were broken, and that's one of let's see, 22 treaties in our history that all have been broken. So the only thing that they said they were going to do is take the land, and by golly, they sure enough did that. Now, I know my tone of voice carries a lot of, uh, of anger or resentment. I understand what happened, but I think it's important that your listeners and the people in uh, Scranton, where I'm going to be, listen to this story, because... It explains why we, we are almost invisible now. We've been run off and kind of written out of history. Erica, in 1756, in Pennsylvania, Governor Robert Morris put out a scalp bounty. He wanted to kill the Lenape and move them out, take over the land. They were being too much trouble, and it was a lot easier to just kill them and scare them off. And when it became too cumbersome, for people, the white people, to go out and kill the Indians legally, bring them back to collect the bounty. 
when it became too cumbersome to drag their dead bodies there, it became a scalp bounty where all they had to do was scalp those Lenape and turn in the scalps for payment. Legal murder sanctioned against the savages. That's, that's my ancestors. That's on the land where you're living now. So for people to say, no, that didn't happen in America, that didn't happen here in our country. And no, the Americans didn't do that kind of stuff. They didn't wage war on the, on the Indians. Well, yes, they did. And my people had to flee. The Lenape had to flee all of that area that I described to you in a theater of warfare, several different wars, the French and Indian War, uh, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, all of this that was going on where they're pushing the Indians out, where the Europeans are fighting each other. I'm telling you, it's like what's going on in Ukraine today, if people can make some kind of an, an analogy here. Now we get to the point of, okay, well, now that we know all of this, what are we going to do about it? It's not, you know, for, for the white people, it's to say, well, look, we didn't do, I didn't do this to you, Curtis. I didn't do this to you. That might have been what happened in the ancestors. It might have been something I didn't learn about in school, but I didn't do that to you. And then I'm saying, I did not suffer like my ancestors did to hold on to language, customs, and traditions, to hold on and keep faith that we would, we would not be exterminated. I didn't have to go through that. They sacrificed so that I could tell this story today. And I have now the opportunity to come to the University of Scranton and Scranton, Pennsylvania, and talk with your community about issues that are the residual and remaining effects of colonialism and racism. When we have pandemics like COVID that make people all crazy and wonky, well, you know, we, have, we know something about pandemics. Uh, when the Europeans brought smallpox and diphtheria and measles and venereal disease here, we didn't, we didn't have medicines to deal with that. We'd never seen it before. It caused us to mistrust the colonizer, and it caused us to uh, fret about the fact that our natural medicines and our traditional ways were, were not combating diseases that wiped us out far more than any musket shot did. So what are, we, what are we doing about it today? Well, first of all, thank you to Scranton and to the university for uh, allowing me to tell this story, but to go beyond that. One of the biggest issues right now that's going on is climate change. It's all over the map, everywhere you go. And we're dealing with the after effects of all of this commercial growth and, and that is based on European thinking that land was a commodity and it, you use it up. And if you poison it and using it up, you just pick up and move somewhere else. There's lots of land out there. Just push those indigenous out of the way, people of color. Just push them out of the way and take over more. Well, that's what happened in this country. And now we're having to pay the price. And it, the Lenape are too. But you know what? We have a traditional knowledge that we can bring to the table. And we should be allowed to come back to our homeland. Just like we're, we're doling out billions of dollars for the Ukrainians to be able to return to their homeland. How about opening up the gates to the institutions of power? back here in Pennsylvania, and let the Lenape return to their homeland, connect with the land of their ancestors and the spirit of the ancestors and the spirit of the land that is our homeland, and allow us to come back 
to sit at the table of power and be welcomed, not rejected, but be welcomed at the table of power and let us speak for ourselves and our vested interest in your community and all of the homeland. That's what Lenape Center's mission is about. But ours is about arts and culture, about environmental advocacy, about the ancestors. Lenape Center is not a government, you know, we're not an Indian tribe. We're just Lenape descended to have a, a, a strong feeling about returning to the homeland. Our executive director, who is also a enrolled member of the Delaware tribe, he's living in Manhattan and kind of giving out this same message. But we want to express ourselves through the arts, through culture, through language. You have been involved in a theater production. You were a consultant at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. There is a play called Manahata. It was written by a Cherokee woman, a playwright, and, uh, and an attorney. And there have uh, since been a, a couple of different presentations, uh, productions of Manahata. The latest was at Yale University. And uh, our executive director, Joe, was a consultant for that one. We were the consultant for language and history. The story of Manahata is very much like I presented to you as far as what happened with the Dutch and the Lenape, and then it's juxtaposed with the story of, of a Lenape woman living in New York City on Wall Street when we had the housing meltdown back in uh, 05 and 06. It's a beautiful story. And uh, we're, we're grateful to be associated with Mary Catherine Nagel's uh, play, Manahata. And again, uh, we look forward to future theater productions that tell the story, not just of the Lenape, but all of the indigenous tribes that are around here. And our shows, we had a major exhibit with the Brooklyn Public Library that included this story that I wrote. I wrote an essay for an anthology that's just been published. So we're actively involved in so many different aspects of art and culture and environmental advocacy. And uh, we're ever so grateful when we can be welcome to museums, libraries, universities, community gatherings, uh, church gatherings, and the like. And uh, again, I look forward to that at the uh, University of Scranton and what I'm hoping will be my first visit, the uh, lovely community of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Again, I want to emphasize that I want to come out of this presentation with some action goals to make the community better with the Lenape ever present in that mix. Curtis Zunica, an enrolled member of the Delaware Tribe of Indians in Oklahoma, expert on Delaware Lenape culture, language, and traditional practices, he is the co-founder and co-director of the Lenape Center based in New York City. He will be the special guest of the University of Scranton this Thursday, November 17th at 7 in the evening with a presentation titled Forced Removal of the Lenape People, History and Homecoming. The event will be held in the Denaples Center Ballroom at the university and it is part of the two-year-long project, Scranton's Story, Our Nation's Story, made possible through a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. The University of Scranton has many community partners in this project, and they all have been exploring Scranton's history, its culture, 
and role in the nation at large. So the nation's story through the lens of Scranton. And this fall, the project theme focuses on the indigenous history of northeastern Pennsylvania, culminating in this keynote talk and discussion on Thursday, November 17th, titled Forced Removal of the Lenape People, History and Homecoming. For more information on the web, scranton.edu slash Scranton Story. The event is free and open to the public. For more information, scranton.edu slash Scranton Story. And Curtis Zunica's last name is Z-U-N-I-G-H-A.